0: Kids! It doesn't matter what you are! Punks! Skins! Rasters! Mauds! Rockers! Keith Tigran even! Everybody everywhere! Stop snogging and pay attention to me!
1: This is a dwarf cast
2: Hello and welcome to an experimental new form of dwarf cast from Ganymede and Titan. Instead of bollocking on about Red Dwarf, we're going to bollock on about another show that we like, that is not Red Dwarf, but is adjacent to Red Dwarf in various ways. This is the first of upwards of one in this series, (laughs) depending on how it goes. (laughs) I'm Ian Symes, and I'm joined by Jonathan Capps. Hi. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And we would like to talk to you about The Young Ones, Mm. a sitcom from the early 80s that was produced by Paul Jackson. Um, Ed By worked on it. There are various cast crossovers with Red Dwarf. It's uh, very much in a lineage that leads to Red Dwarf in terms of BBC2 comedy. So we are going to commentate on an episode. That episode is Series 1, Episode 5, Interesting. It's available on DVD. It's streaming on Brickbox in the UK. If you're outside of the UK, Google it. And if all else fails, you can probably find it fairly easily by searching for the relevant things on certain websites that rhyme <laughs> with melee dotion. <laughs> and then after that we're going to have some lovely Young Ones themed waffles that have been provided to us. But yeah, commentary first. So line up your copy of the episode and press play after these noises. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace.
1: www.ganymede.tv No, this is really good, this, Mike. <laughs> Hey
2: so this episode in the spell poll finished, oh no <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is though probably my favorite episode of the young ones, uh certainly of this series. There's a couple of um red dwarf guest stars that appear in it, and that's why we've chosen it, but also it's a really good episode, yeah, yeah, although uh watching it back. Um, in preparation for this, it does start quite slowly. (laughs) Uh, All the good stuff happens a bit in, because the pace is quite for the young ones uh, fairly slow at the beginning, but uh, yeah, that's for the young ones.
3: I guess that's kind of like, that is the classic fast structure though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, really slow start, and then just ramping up to the point where you're (laughs) just I have no idea what is happening.
2: (laughs) But this episode, like so many, has several of those um, structures within it yeah. it's like it does start off quite farcy when they're waiting for the party to start and then that just kind of gets abandoned <laughs> halfway through and it just becomes a bit of knockabout fun, it becomes a sketch show at one point and then just it, Young Ones defies any sort of definition of what type of sitcom it is yeah. it yeah. is all types of sitcom and no types of sitcom, <laughs> it's its own thing
3: It's like a reaction to about five different like tropes from the, the 70s, I guess, isn't it? It's like, it, yeah, it's a reaction to various different types of sitcom sketch shows, just everything is just, it's just thrown at the screen. That's what it feels like,
2: yeah. Most of which is just there as a thin excuse for Rick and Aid, in particular, and the <laughs> others just being incredibly silly, just to be let loose, yeah, yeah. Because this was uh, it was 82, the first series, wasn't it? Um, and it was. The background of which was that Rick and Aid had been working together on a double act on stage um, comedy store. Um, they obviously were part of the comic strip as well, which came at around the same time over on Channel Four, um, Friday Night
3: Live slash Saturday Live. It's a lot of comic was. strip um, people in this in this episode. I yeah. guess there is in most of the young ones episodes. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah, one, it's, it's all yeah. It's a big gang of people yeah. uh, who are all. The first wave basically of alternate comedy for certainly the first wave to make it on screen. Are we got um, to see the um oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> the weird the fifth weird. housemate? That's <laughs> strange. There he is on the left <laughs> as uh Vivian turns the uh that's vacuum so cleaner up. Yeah, there is a secret fifth housemate in the other ones, for <laughs> not so addition, secret though. anymore, well, no. <laughs> but yeah, hidden in each episode of the first series somewhere. Um, that figure appears uh, some sort of hippie of indeterminate gender with hair down covering their face not interacting with anyone and the idea was that it was like you always get in student houses just someone who's just there who like even if no one else knows them there's just some extra person there who doesn't really talk to anyone yeah and so that was the idea but it, it freaks me out because <laughs> it's it's really <laughs> I didn't I wouldn't have noticed it probably unless people pointed it out. And it's just unnerving the idea that there's an extra person there. And there are some rumours that the other person is Neil, who is this other Neil, the hippie, Neil, Neil's friend Neil. Um, but that's been proven wrong by well, the scene
1: because
0: he's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
2: <laughs> because they're both in this scene. Yeah, but maybe in other episodes too. Although,
3: oddly, as well, that you have to assume that. No one else knows about this fifth housemate because otherwise they would have, when they were divvying up the jobs earlier across everyone, they would have included this otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <It's like laughs> yeah. It's like they, as if they it's just literally don't know it exists. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this is the first cutaway Cut away. of the episode, which was one of the things Paul Jackson. Cannily getting extra budget for the show by classifying it as a variety show.
3: Is um, it really? So these cutaways also, because I, I was I was going to ask about the the musical interlude. Yeah, later. the musical interlude is definitely that. Yeah, so that's not um, just that's not just a a story that was on DVD documentaries that might be a little bit apocryphal. That was that that's actual truth, is it? I think it's fairly well accepted. Okay, um, these
2: sort of sequences a part of that I think, but also just silly things that <laughs> they yeah. wanted to do. Because yeah, like I say, it's it is a sitcom, the young ones, in every sense, but it's it's just more than that packed in. It's never a story that continues in a linear fashion. There's always
3: side steps <laughs> and this is one of them. That caption is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um might be um I, I do know that the the some the some show is where I think South Park have done this a few times where they put up a fairly jokey sounding disclaimer, but you later find out that that was actually something that they were required to do. Is uh, they yeah. did it to. Did it in a, a funny way. In a funny way, yeah.
2: That woman's voice sounds
3: just like Dawn French. <laughs> nah, it probably isn't. That is a really good joke. What, the cornflakes? One. one. <laughs> don't eat the <laughs> cornflakes, there's only one each. <laughs> God it's so like if I was to say something that I didn't like about the young ones is that it sometimes makes me feel a bit bleak. Yeah. <laughs> do You know <laughs> what I mean like <laughs> It's quite depressing
0: the the whole idea of how much money they don't have and yeah. Like, yeah. And <clears> it makes me feel so ab- grungy, it makes you feel it dirty. Makes
3: th- yeah, it makes me think a bit too much about the 80s as well and if you do that then you, you're going to end up being sad, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah.
2: And they all hate themselves as well as hating each other. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Rick leaving the scene <laughs> and then walking back in, like he really just <laughs> <clicked>. be sarcastic. <laughs> didn't he? Oh, uh, as Don French walks in, you can just about see uh, someone, a crew member, running at the top of the stairs to get out of shot. Oh, really? Uh...
0: <laughs> oh, that's good.
2: Which is. Presumably to do with the big uh, stunt that's coming up in a couple of minutes. Oh
0: time. yeah. I thought I remember the the fifth housemate getting there the fuck is. out Oh, oh yeah, yeah, there that's... it
3: is. That's <laughs> yeah, the other it's the fifth housemate. Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. go upstairs, Get they're up not interested the, in the yeah. party.
2: They just wanna hang out. But there's not enough rooms for the fifth person as far well, because in yeah. other
3: episodes they go through the who's in each room. Don't friends, and they'll pump. <laughs>
2: This is an early version of um, Geraldine Granger, clearly, <laughs> Vicar of Dibley. There's another Red Dwarf connection.
3: Here, here,
0: <laughs> which involves him being assaulted. <laughs>
2: I would recommend more than most episodes of Dwarfcast watching along because we are going to be, just be doing a lot of pointing. Yeah,
1: of it. <laughs>
2: it's
3: not like Red Dwarf where we could quite happily just talk. I think she just got rid
0: of the only food in the house.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What about the? Was it the lentil dip? She sat in the lentil dip. Oh, she sat in the lentil
2: dip. And then and twatted then... the <laughs> Oh, no, the henna dip. Oh, yeah. Because Neil never made the lentil dip.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just... <laughs> Insane idea.
3: Yeah. We've got a bald cap for age. Should we? Like, How do we use this? I mean,
2: this is... Yeah, this is the first appearance of Eddie Hitler.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, in the IMDb, the trivia for this says that it's a foreshadowing. I was like, no, he fucking isn't. <laughs> <It's> foreshadowing.
2: <laughs> Adrian Edmondson appears
3: bold. It's forehead shadowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Red, uh, which, not, no, hit, not only Red Dwarf had CSO problems in the eighties. Everyone,
0: this is real. This is this is better than life. <laughs> it's,
2: it's not um, CSO. It's uh, Quantel paintbox. box, really, uh, or something words to that effect. It's a real location shoot, but they've pissed about with the, with the sky. No. Um with this guy <laughs> <laughs> To a terrible with effect. Very, very primitive uh, early video effects. It's also used with varying degrees of success throughout eighties who. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's not good here. <laughs> Whereas yeah, four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, another red dwarf ripoff. Of course.
0: Yeah
3: foreshadowing Fals- <laughs> Goodman of the Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. They went forward in time ten years.
0: And I did not know that the guy on the left was Keith Allen until I looked it up. Yeah. yeah. didn't realise that at all.
2: It's the only time I've ever not wanted to punch Keith Allen. <laughs> I really like this. I mean, I do still kind of want to punch Keith
3: Allen. In, in, even in the I
2: still delight. There's a line in this that I quote all the time, even though it's no longer relevant, which is, so what's new? Microchip technology? <laughs> that, that's fairly new. That hasn't been new for about 40 years. <laughs>
3: but i still say it wasn't very new in 82 to be honest the lines around the horse's head make me bring to mind the um my lovely horse video <laughs> <laughs> the ghosting it's a bit
2: um nightmare as well
0: yes it's kind of old school digital this is
2: noise wonderful. uh yeah while the digital video effects were primitive you cannot
0: knock the visual effects the, in the young ones did not skimp on the props Boom. holy shit look at the state of that the timing
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that
3: like where does dawn french go <laughs> i don't we, we I, didn't I see her again she disappeared after this episode that went out as well no
2: i mean like literally not the character but literally how did they do that without no, killing Dawn it. french <laughs> i don't know
3: i think there's a gap underneath it there the
2: trap door <laughs>
0: Yeah, because it looks like it's sagging now, so it looks like the middle of it actually isn't. Yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> no, it's a big old sandwich. It's it would amazing. Say. I mean, obviously, I don't know what the fuck you'd do with that once you'd met it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it looks like the type of material that would completely have disintegrated by yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, it- look, it's the other one from French and Swinders.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the bloke uh as a memorable part in episode one of the young ones as the glue sniffer in um nosing around
0: that's that pops guy pops, right yeah the big old eyes oh god I don't realise that's the same dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well we are not allowed to drink in pubs
3: watch a banner. Jennifer Jonas,
2: Saunders is kind of dressed as Rick in like Rick's normal costume as opposed to Rick's party gear. He's, she's got the black jacket with all the badges on she really looks like a female version of Rick
3: yeah which makes sense cuz he's kind Fact of got the hots for her, about
2: uh it. people who go on to do other things oh, the blonde boom, woman boom, that's, boom 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 sorry boom in <laughs> uh, the blonde woman that's just come in it's not Jennifer Saunders but the other blonde woman is Linda Henry who later went on to be in Bad Girls and Eastenders she's oh. Shirley Carter in Eastenders wow oh. Oh, Vic almost went over then. On yeah. The car <laughs> he nearly stacked it and he yeah. carried on. <laughs> and then struggled with the door. Any
3: relation?
0: Vivian is <laughs> uh-huh. such a ridiculous person
2: and now we come to the first excuse for why we can (laughs) do this on the Red Dwarf podcast Uh, took me ages in fact I had to read who it was to figure out who it was
0: it's Nicholas Ball my dad knew who he'd seen him in other things and so he was like oh this guy's the simulant in Red Dwarf and I was like oh really? you what? (laughs) I was like oh that's him and I can kind of see it when you can kind of of do that yeah you can
2: see it now it's no, the, no, I mean, he's yeah, very. For years, I didn't
3: realize that was um, Nicholas Ball. Very yeah. covered up. Anyway, like it's a, yeah, it's a difficult one to put together. I didn't yeah. know until we were proposing doing this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Adrian's pissing about it but that is quite exhausting to do for. A long yeah. Time. yeah, look, he's slowing down. <laughs> he started well. a thing now. Oh,
2: they were so young.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of the point of the show. It may not be the young ones very you long, go. but they're and young a here.
0: Tiny kind of Heineken.
3: Turtle power. A tiny can. <laughs> Shut up, you girl. <laughs> the height of wit. It's incredible. I don't care at all. <laughs> God bless you, Rick.
2: Yeah i was worried for a while after rick male died because it hit me quite hard i was worried that i wouldn't be able to watch him anymore without being upset and then probably like a couple of months later i saw an episode of the young ones and i was like yeah Yeah. it's fine it's fine (laughs) i can definitely still watch it would be
0: it would be a crime not to because that would be the that would be the absolute worst thing you could do is to sort of ignore the genius and that you know I, fucking, I love how <laughs> instantly so instant. <laughs> pushes the guy over. And this guy, he is basically man who plays policeman in everything, mm. right? I looked him up on IMDb, and he's in the bill, and he doesn't play a policeman in any of the four times he's <laughs> <is> in it.
2: <laughs> he's a policeman in The Young Ones about three times, I think. yeah. He's also the dad from the Oxo family. That's efforts. right. Yeah. Oh,
3: fucking hell. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was my second surprising fact I learnt about a guest star. <laughs> That's quite good. There's another one coming up. There's lads. one
1: more.
3: You didn't tease this. You teased this to us. You didn't tease it to the listeners. But it's, oh, also, yeah. it's an episode at the bottom <laughs> as well. Is the where they have the
0: newsagent underneath? something.
2: This scene is effectively the don't tell them Pike, Dale Boy falling through the bar It does mean changing the bulb moment of The Young
1: Ones.
0: (laughs) But it is very good. In 1982, this was, like, undoable. Shocking, Like, you would not do this in
2: 1982.
0: Yeah, this is proper... It's just taboo, isn't it? It was just just very, (laughs) sort of, personal and...
2: You look at, <laughs> back at it now with current attitudes and think that their reactions are over the top but at the time, yeah. that would have been a huge shock to viewers at home to think that <laughs> see a tampon on screen.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's, an yeah. that's another excellent joke. <laughs> the clock's broken.
0: They <laughs> do a lot of that, don't they? they sort of breaking with the format and just commenting on the, yeah. the undercutting, Yeah, uh,
2: using common tropes and then <laughs> that's another thing that I often do. If, if I tell a joke that goes badly, turn turn to an imaginary camera and go.
3: <laughs> that's a that's a very Buxton-esque thing as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. yeah. He He's probably got it from, got it from this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> In fact,
2: I remember a Buxton podcast with. Charlie Brooker where they were both talking about The Young Ones and what an influence it was on both of them.
3: Well, they're both like prime age for The Young Ones.
2: Yeah. Well, it's one of those shows, yeah. If you were perhaps like 10 years older than us, then The Young Ones would be the show that you watched as a kid and you'd be like, yes, this is a show for me. Yeah, this is my show. In the same way Python was for a generation earlier. Mm. I often say that for me, "Spaced" was the first show that I watched where I thought, "Yeah, this is Mm. right. This is designed for me, for my generation." Later on, it the in betweeners
3: for people who are a bit younger than us. Some may say "Red Dwarf." (laughs) Yeah, but when it may maybe shows that reflect,
0: but "Red Red Dwarf" was a show like sort of watched by kids and their parents, but. Like young ones yeah. was watched by a generation, and usually yeah. the generation above hated it, so it was usually that yeah. kind of a yeah, yeah. It definitely had didn't that understand
3: thing, it. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, your parents didn't get it, and so
3: it was made it all the better. Yeah, for anyone who's who's spent a night with him, or spent a night drinking with him, you can you will know that Alexis Saylor's is doing a really good Sir Patrick impression here. <laughs> It's my favourite Alexis Ale performance. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Can <laughs>
0: no, I use your toilet? Cause... No. Okay. So pissed in your garden.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <I thought so. laughs> And a... Here's some more budget being spent. <laughs> yeah, this... <laughs> this uh, This is a weird bit of the episode. There's a weird thread of the episode. For various reasons. <laughs> it essentially, it takes Mike
2: out of the action. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing yeah. well it feels like
3: that's something that they had to do often maybe like he's Mike a bit is of the, definitely odd one out. the odd
2: one out yeah, yeah. he's Sex the least Mike. interesting character and the least best performance mm. he's the only one that just doesn't inhabit the role I'd say yeah yeah but then uh, I once saw Christopher Ryan uh, in front of the queue at, uh, uh, in
3: front of me at the queue at Tesco in Ealing Broadway so he's not all bad he's right? not bad he's alright is he here we go that's uh get the variety budget in yeah uh,
2: and again Rip Rag and Panic or Rip, Rip Rig and Panic um, probably the worst of the uh, <laughs> of the musical acts that they had or but one of the least memorable of the musical acts yeah decent you had, decent song you had Motorhead and Madness I always really loved um, Nine Below Zero who uh, did 11 Plus 11 is a song that I didn't know a band that I didn't know before the young ones yeah Third surprising person who went on to do other things. Uh, Do you guys know who the singer is? Is it Andy Oliver? Yes, it is Andy Oliver. No. Yeah. That's Andy Oliver. (laughs) TV chef.
3: Yeah. (laughs) TV
2: chef, radio presenter, um, mother of Makita Oliver. I love Andy Oliver. She's
0: brilliant. Yeah, uh, she is. She's in the young ones. It's when I saw her on a Saturday kitchen. I was like,
3: that's her out of young ones. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I wondered where she'd like, not where she'd come from, but do you know what I mean? Like, she, I think she just kind of turned up a few years ago on like the. I watch a lot of <clears throat> kind of cooking shows because of my partner, really. But, um,
0: oh yeah. Why does that's why the, does a lot one. of musical acts end up working in t- as a TV chef? I'm only <laughs> thinking of her and Ainsley Harriet, but. <laughs> <laughs> what?
3: Why do so many brothers of bassists from Britpop bands end up as inventors of TV game show formats? (laughs) (laughs) The the
2: musical interlude provides a neat separation in this episode. It allows them to have their cake and eat it, of having the awkward party that no one turns up to jokes and then just snap afterwards. Everyone turns up and they can do a completely different type of story. And they all kind of, except for Mike, who's fucked off, everyone meets the people that should be their peers. Um,
3: and figure out how inferior they are to them, yeah, basically. Or, or how much they're playing a role that isn't them. and Rick's, yeah. Rick's love of the police, the se- his secret love of the police, <laughs> is one of my favourite things about him. He's so well <laughs> Especially done. Especially the few bad apples. A few bad apples, yeah. <laughs> He's still trying to, like, yeah, but a few bad apples spoiling an otherwise spotless reputation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also, Rick's. Uh, not getting the joke. <laughs> acting. <laughs> <laughs> it's up there with uh, Dermot Morgan as Ted <laughs> turning to camera. <laughs>
3: <clears throat> with Rick, like, every every aspect of his performance, every single bit of it is written on his face. Always. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: And it's amazing how he can turn from dashing to a complete idiot. With <laughs> the face, and it just, it can, you know what I mean? It's it just,
3: this is my favourite bit. Again, <laughs> brother's caramelism. <Karamazov>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> These are all dad jokes These are I was going to say, that is a very traditional gag
2: <laughs> Not everything about the young ones is massively groundbreaking, but it's just, it's always done with such skill.
3: Yeah. yeah, and with such precision. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's take it's taking you know, decades old techniques like entertainment, light entertainment, gags and setups, and you know traditional sitcom yeah. setups, and using them using them straight sometimes, and then other times just completely undercutting them and or tearing them to bits. Here's your other one. Nice Please welcome to the stream, <laughs> Hidden
2: Red Dwarf guest star number two, who I would not have known in a million years it was him
0: because you can barely see his face here, <laughs> but it's Paul Bradley, yeah, it's Chen. Yeah, he's in two hey. episodes Warlock. He's a, Warlock, when, when Neil becomes a, a policeman he goes to his house. Yeah. Take the tit off your head. <laughs>
3: There's someone I said I said on our group chat last night really should have been a red dwarf guest star, Stephen <laughs> but Frost. never has Stephen Frost. Yeah. yeah, Stephen Frost and Mark Arden, uh,
2: some of the best performers that aren't household names that you'll find in yeah. comedy. Yeah, but I think every episode of series one, at least, of the young ones there in it playing different characters, usually as one of these types of cutaways. Like a, yeah. Often often just on their own. Like the best one is uh, when they're both policemen.
3: Uh, and they're thick as pig shit. <laughs> is that the That's... is that the 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 classic um problematic scene?
0: No no, no, no isn't I'm it. trying I was
3: trying to remember who the policeman was in
0: No, that. there's a cutaway to them outside what looks like Westminster and they're kinda uh, just talking about
2: you know I've been going out with it in news how long? years <laughs> but no, yeah. <laughs> Rather than talk about the other scene, they're both excellent in this as the gatecrashers.
3: Really sinister. Like they're not just gate gatecrashers. They're like they're gatecrashers that are looking to burn the entire house down or something. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, Stephen Frost a... character's got a forehead tattoo. <laughs> they're skinheads. Oh, well, he's a skinhead at least. <laughs> S- skinheads that haven't uh, haven't been to have their haircuts in a in a couple of weeks.
2: <laughs> no, in the day de- back in the day having like go. a number
3: three crew cut major. No, that was it, enough. didn't have to be right. completely yeah. There he is again <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, get an effect sequence going
1: <laughs>
2: The go. timing of it like it's not, like you can see the strings <laughs> and everything but it's just the timing of him drifting off <laughs> like it's not when you expect him to drift off, it's like while he's still passing the
0: bong back <laughs> there's a sound effect in the background there that Sam swear is also
3: used in Willy Wonka almost certainly <laughs> does anyone else fancy some mashed potato yes I'm about to have
0: some <laughs> in about half an hour it's lovely, ah,
3: lovely.
0: Yes. <laughs> I love how slow it reacts as well and we move up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Fucking, it, it's got to the point now where just blink and you'll miss about six yeah. different it different really wraps up like the the back end of this
2: episode after the musical performance is just relentless I ain't frit nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's another <line. laughs> and this just yeah <laughs> it's hard to explain why it's so good but just suddenly some <laughs> small
3: boy pops out of a chimney referring to <laughs> it as the late 19th century as well is funny. Yeah.
2: I'm a well respected fictional character <laughs> and there's always extra gags with Arden and Frost's cameos like they're playing characters but there's extra detail in there of like Stephen Frost not knowing that Santa doesn't exist, <laughs>
0: have a small moment of what? <laughs> it's almost you can imagine this is like a like a five minute thing on stage <clears throat> with just yeah. you know them two just doing a thing to you know like the comedy star just like their little skits it's like they, yeah absolutely yeah kind of Punt and Dennis as if, well kind of you know them I wonder
2: if some of them were like, probably perhaps not this yeah. one because it's a bit more bespoke to the situation but things like the policeman. Whether those those gags it's just like like what you're saying, like with Alexis Sales dad jokes, a lot of the gags that they do are just any two people, any sort of dialogue double act gags,
3: yeah, yeah, maybe reframed, Why does Cinderella turn into a pumpkin? I don't know, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs>
3: and then why does Mike behead her? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Mike doesn't realize that she's turned into a pumpkin, but he she just did back. it in front of his very eyes. He turned his back, he didn't see the change oh, He thought right. she'd fucked off and left a pumpkin oh, hell. Exploded wow.
0: like the mayor of Warsaw yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This guy
1: <laughs> <right>. Hello <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: The character of Collins uh, Makes me nostalgic For a type of University culture that I don't think really exists anymore outside the really fucking posh universities of like that Ents committee and Rag Week and all that wank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of like, by the time I was at university, I mean I went to a red brick university anyway, Yes. Yeah, uh, but there was just like a very very small like twenty odd people that still <laughs> were like that, yeah. were like trying to rally around the troops at university and and be the entertainment person. They had their and cared yeah. cared about the union and stuff. <clears throat>
3: They had their idea of what uni was going to be like and they were damn well going to make it yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah, even if they found themselves 30-odd years behind. <laughs> yeah, and in the wrong type of university.
0: <laughs> it makes me feel a bit ill when you realise that he did get sick on his back. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> I uh, think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Just all kind of, this is all the threads coming together now isn't it.
3: Kind of but they are yeah. like brand new threads that have only just been introduced. Yeah. Like everything's <laughs> yeah. kind
0: of all clicked together really quickly. But yeah, only 3 4
2: minutes after it was set up.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alexi dancing. No, not really no. Alexi Sale is still amazing by the way. As yeah, he on, is. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer
1: Sona's coming
2: for the Christmas of fashion. Perfect. But yeah, I highly recommend uh, Alexi Sales' Imaginary Sandwich Bar uh, Radio Four show, which I think is all on sounds at the moment. If anyone hasn't heard that, it's very very good. And it's modern Alexis Sale being just as angry and inventive
3: as he was in the eighties. He's he's just not. He's just not changed, has he? Like he's, no. he's like so many comedians from the '80s, especially alternative comedians. You can look at now and be a bit disappointed in, to be honest. <coughs> Jennifer <Yeah>. Saunders and <laughs> Alexis Sell just is not one of them. He is exactly the same person with exactly the same convictions. Yeah, um, yeah, he's great. He's shitting Doctor Who, though. Holy fuck! <laughs> this is very good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's actually
0: talking at the camera as well and they just seem to have not used it
1: oh yeah, yeah
2: he's, t- he's talking in this bit yeah
0: Michael Redfern so- that's the guy from the Michael opposite, Redfern uh, yeah. yeah Peter Brewis
2: P- yeah music by Peter Brewis who did all the music for Son of Cliché which is another um, Red Dwarf Connection Ed Wooden. Graham Hutchings and Ed Wooden, the VT yeah, editors, VT both worked on Red Dwarf Aye. in various series. Ed, Ed Bai, uh, you might
3: have heard of him. Oh, it's at the end already. <laughs> <Right>, Ed <bye> everyone.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good. The <laughs> <laughs> look of resignation to Cameron.
0: Everyone's a producer. Who directed it?
2: Paul Jackson directed it. Right. There were rules at that time that you could only be one. You could only be the producer or the director, uh, or rather, you could only be credited as uh, one. Oh, uh, okay. In the BBC, right? And so, there's various shows pre 90s, I guess. Is that because you got paid per credit? Yeah, only as yeah, he did the job like he like legally officially did the job, yeah, yeah. but in the in the credits you could only be credited for one. Right. So Hitchhikers is another example. The TV version of Hitchhikers is Alan J W Bell credited as producer, but he was also the director. Right. Okay. Cool. It's also why on various Doctor Who, for similar reasons, there there are scripts that are put out under pseudonyms. It's usually because the script editor has written them, and there were rules that said the script editor can't also be the writer.
3: Oh, is that why Douglas Adams was um what's his name? City of, when, uh, when he wrote City of Death. Was it City of Death that he wrote? And he was yeah. It was David Agnew. David the Agnew. Pseudonym. Yeah. Yeah because he was script editor of Doctor Who at, at the time so yeah. yeah interesting interesting is the name of a young ones episode
0: i watch young ones with with a, a vague sense of confusion <laughs> 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 like often like th- there's all there's a load of jokes and just thinking oh that was a terrible joke like why was that left in but then again that's what alternative comedy was about it was not about doing the thing that was right it was doing what was deemed to be ironic or funny or you know Daring at the time, and it was like, well, we don't yeah. give, a, we don't give of It was punk comedy, wasn't it? it was I don't, give yeah. it, I don't I was care what say, you think about this.
3: If I if I wanted to be a, a a wank on a Talking head show, I'd say well, it was it was anarchic. It was so so anarchic, you yeah. know. <laughs> and I guess I mean I, the, the production
0: looks fucking insane. Like the the making of that show looked like it was just as as mad and as out of control as the actual show looks. Well, like punk.
2: Music in many ways, um, you have to get the technical stuff right, in order for the anarchic stuff to work. Yeah. yeah. So like, the visual effects are amazing in the young ones. The direction's great. The cast, that like everything about the technical side of making television is done perfectly. I mean, I say perfectly. There are some, <laughs> there are some dodgy effects. There are some dodgy puppets and stuff. But for the most part it's a solid production mm. where a lot of thought and time and care has gone into it and that is what makes the mad ca- the I was going to say madcap then <laughs> the the <laughs> anarchic <laughs> surreal script work the content only works because the bass is so solid and in the same way that most punk bands or at least good punk bands had a really solid rhythm section yeah okay. so that then you know you had you were making fundamentally like good danceable songs that then had this snarling, screaming, whining <laughs> vocalist over the top. Yeah. Um, but if it was all like that, then it would be just bad to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. If if the production of The Young Ones had the same approach to the script <laughs> as the writing, then it would be a terrible
3: sitcom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And the direction as well. Like, it, 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 it must take a lot to get all that over on screen even though it fe- sometimes mm. feels like it's throwing shit at a wall. It's when you see like there's some
0: scenes in Young Ones just thinking like it's literally a sentence but that sentence is like a week's work so like the sentence yeah. is there is a carrot and a thing. <laughs> carrot and a chip <laughs> skating <laughs> on a pan and it's just like that's like a week's work to create the costume, create the fucking thing, get the effect right, shoot yeah. it properly, shoot it from the right angle, get it to mix it's like like it's just a sentence and I imagine that like, pretty much all the young ones is just like all these little details <clears throat> had to be kind of filled in yeah it's crazy
2: at dimension jump a few weeks ago um paul jackson used that very example in his Q and A talking about the young ones of that sit that scene with the carrot and the chip doing a nice skating routine and he went into how intricate it was and how long it took it yeah. like they had one day for pre-records and they were working on that until there was like two hours left to do the entire rest of the episodes worth of proof. Oh. It reminds
3: me of um, it. Just reminds me of Ed, Ed Bye's that like you can tell what the traumatic things were because they always like to tell the stories about it. Like Ed's, it's a joke now, but you know Ed's like, oh, you know, here's a here's a long list of reasons why I'm a brilliant director because I did yeah. this, this and this. <laughs> yeah. What else did Paul Jackson direct? Whitehall. Apart from Whitehall. Did he do two Ronnies and things like
0: that? Or was he just
3: a floor manager for those? I wanna say Happy Families. Oh yeah, okay. That makes sense. I feel like directorially he like did it for a bit, and maybe I don't know, just moved up very quickly and so, you know, he had his he had his directors instead. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't really his thing.
2: Yeah, I think he, he did both and then quickly found that producing was more of his Cup of tea, but Putting no, together yes, teams. he directed Filthy Rich
3: and Catflap, he directed Happy Families. Oh, I thought Ed directed Filthy Rich, oh. according to Imdibur. Of course, yeah, because was, was, that was pre Red Dwarf, wasn't it? Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Just, getting that.
2: Yeah, okay. 87. Apparently, according to IMDb, he directed 18 episodes of The Generation Game. And 19 episodes of Blankety Blank. So I guess that that was in the old BBC days where you were a producer or a director in-house yeah. and you just got assigned to stuff, uh, but then very quickly uh, made his
3: niche in comedy. Yeah, made his niche being creative with budgets for what you gather, from young, one, yeah. young ones and Red Dwarf.
2: <laughs> We've been talking post-episode for ages now.
0: That's only five minutes.
2: Tell that to Roger
0: Bannister. It's only five minutes.
2: Oh, really? How interesting. So I think it's time we moved on to answering your topics and questions that you've been kind enough to send in, in the section that we like to call... Waffle, Waffle, Man. Really Waffle Man. Man.
0: Waffle Man.
2: Waffle Man. Shouldn't be afraid. Waffle. Waffle. There's a Waffle Waffle. Waffle, Waffle. 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 <laughs>
1: Waffle Man, My
2: right, Good, good luck, Daddy.
1: <laughs>
2: so, firstly, so uh, Bromley asks, "What are your favourite other Cliff Richard numbers?"
3: The ones that he'll hold on his little thing when he gets arrested. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: of course, it's another Red Dwarf crossover in that he's going to get shot at some point. That's right. Yeah. One thing that Rick says at one point, which is true, uh, Devil Woman. Is a very good song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably it. I don't mind Saviour's Day at Christmas.
0: I was going to say, Saviour's Day is, is. I don't hate that song.
2: Yeah. It's, it's better than Mistletoe and Wine. Yeah. I used to it's love that when
3: I was a kid, though. I love Mistletoe and Wine.
2: It's certainly better than the Millennium Prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Millennium
0: Prayer is such a fucking just cynical cash in.
2: Oh, it is. Yeah. It's so lazy. His best work is the version of Living Doll <laughs> from the mid 80s with the young
3: ones. Yeah. I can happily listen to that. Yeah. Well, the the best Shadow stuff is like when it was without him anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Hank Marvin's great. Yeah, But people really love Cliff Richard. My mum, if my mum heard me talk about Cliff Richard like this, she'd smack me about. Turn your hide. She would, but we are the young ones and we must rebel against Cliff Richard.
2: And it's hilarious that they chose Cliff Richard as the one that... Rick was the fanboy of because it's so incongruous with everything else about him. Yeah, well that's Rick, like, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's playing the part of a
3: political anarchist, but he loves Cliff Richard. Yeah, he loves Cliff Richard. He wants to be a copper. God, we we know less about the young ones than we do about Red Dwarf.
2: <laughs> Summer holiday is referenced in the last episode.
0: Well, it's Cliff that kills him. So it is.
2: Mm. Yeah, it bookends the series starts and ends with Cliff. Kevin J would like us to discuss a crossover. Red Dwarf with Rick, Ade, Nigel and Christopher. Whose characters would the actors play? And the same for the young ones. Who would Chris, Craig, Danny and Robert play? (laughs)
3: Fucking hell. Well, Vimmer's Rick.
2: Yeah, it's difficult because none of them are conventional characters. Either side, yeah. Either side. But yeah, the obvious parallel is between Neil and Crichton. That's the only one solid in my head. Everything. That's the only one that really out. fits easily in that they're both the downtrodden dog's bodies. It's just that Crichton's happy with it.
3: Mike and the cat, I guess. Mike, Mike and the cat are both preening sex pests.
2: Mike and the cat, character-wise, have similar um, egotism and self-delusion. But I don't think Christopher Ryan would pull off the cat that's so to
1: speak <laughs> <laughs>
2: he'd hurt his hand yeah. think, but,
3: uh, are we are we making decisions that there has to be a direct swap or are we, we treat this as two separate things uh, I think you
2: can treat it as two separate things yeah. I think that was how it was intended so maybe Danny would be Danny could definitely do Mike yeah. and I don't mean to shit on Christopher Ryan too much I think he is very good I mean, still but
3: he, he is just different from the other three he's one of the best on Tarvins you're going to guess yep yeah, I mean, Lister is Rick, I guess. Like, no, no, sorry, Lister's Vivian or Craig is Vivian. Uh, yeah, what is this question? Is it the actors or is it the characters transposing on each other? It's the actors. Yeah, whose yeah, character okay, would right. the actors play?
0: See, Lister would be one of those characters, one of those punks that came in on the party. That's what I used to, I was looking at them, thinking
3: that's what Lister looks like.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone who's actually, you know, he's genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah as, as outcasty
3: as. The Red Dwarf cast are, like, you know, they're portrayed as, like, oh, they're the misfits of space and whatnot. They'll actually, like, put them in normal society and Lister would be incredibly cool and high status, probably. Yeah, relatively. Definitely wouldn't fit into any of the mold, any of the young ones characters um, in that respect, mm. who are extreme outcasts.
2: Oh, well, there's a similar question which we can tie in to sort of nail down the, the last remaining bit of the question. Um, Richie Hackett uh, asks on the other side of the Omnizone in an alternative 1980s casting session Rob and Doug have got to decide between two actors for the role of our beloved Arnold J. who do you think would have been the better Rimmer Rick or Nigel? Rick would probably be the better everything mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'd but say
0: Rick but maybe I don't know
3: Rick would sleaze up Rimmer a bit I think but he can do the straighter character that you, that is required
0: are you thinking of like the um the observation dome stuff
3: oh yeah mm. yeah he'd definitely mm. be able to he'd be able to pull all of the acting chop stuff off and also yeah. have a little bit of add add some edge to Rimmer that I think the character can um can accommodate that Chris Barry doesn't really bring to him, but the character of Rimmer could accommodate the sort of edge that
0: that Rick would bring. The problem I've got is the fact that with Rick, I've seen a lot more facets of Rick's abilities than I have Nigel's. So it's no. harder for me to see Nigel doing, other than like Blackadder and the young ones. I haven't seen him much else. Oh, also so, he's he's
3: incredibly like mouldable, isn't he? Like he's, you can immediately imagine, yeah, you can immediately imagine Rick Mail in any any role, and you can kind of in your mind's eye because he's just so strong. But with Nigel playing it, he, he could he could probably do anything that's asked of him. Mm, but that's yeah. less interesting. <laughs>
2: I suppose Rick's Rimmer would be, Alan Bastard would probably be the closest. Yeah equivalent of a character that he has played.
3: Isn't there a theory uh, that Alan Bastard is like, is Rick from The Young Ones Grown Up?
2: <laughs> There's theories about all the characters <laughs> in that little mini <laughs> in the sort of Young Ones followed by Filthy Rich and Catflat followed by Bottom. There's various theories about <laughs> who's who. Yeah, We haven't mentioned Aid Edmondson. Who would he play? I mean, maybe he'd be Lister. Yeah, he probably would be, to be honest. Because he can be a good... Everyman type figure. I mean, obviously Vivian isn't that, but in other things, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's a proper yeah, he's a proper straight actor now. Yeah, like he was in that's been for um, a long time. Was it Holby or Casualty?
0: He was I think one it was, yeah, one of those movies. two.
3: Was he in Jonathan Creek as well? One of the later series. Mm-hmm. So Mail. McNeil. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He was in um, an episode of what was it? I was watching. I think it was Midsummer. Yeah, he was everywhere. Coming. He was everywhere, wasn't he, for a while? Um, but yeah, Aid. Yeah, Aide would be great lister. Yeah. Aide would
0: be a good guest star in general. Players.
3: Do you think he would have been on the do you think he would have been in the in the like in the conversation in eighty seven or whenever when they were casting? Very possible, right? Um It's possible because of obviously the Paul Jackson connection. Yeah.
2: There's a lot yeah, of crosstalk
0: between all them kind of shows at the time, weren't there? I mean Chris Barry was obviously the biggest overlap
2: yeah. between those sort of those worlds. We could have happily gone for the Young Ones episode that Chris Barry was in there are two main character appearances Chris is in it very briefly um, and Norman is in it even more briefly, he has one mind <laughs> but we, we went for the one that had two guest characters and is just generally a better episode. more interesting episode Yeah,
3: wow, it's, it's literally more interesting
2: <laughs>
3: there's no more interesting episode
2: and of course Alexi Sale would be Holly
3: oh yeah oh yeah <laughs>
2: People, for completely understandable reasons, think of a cast of four, a gang of four of the young ones, but Alex is just as important yeah. as the rest of them. It's just that he plays a different character every time he's on, and his bits are kind of separate. Some often are completely separate from everyone else. Often he's integrated as well, but he's always it's always the four of them as the unit. And I guess there's a similarity with Red Dwarf there in that everyone thinks of the main four, us Hollywood. included, but actually, yeah, there's for a lot for a lot of Red Dwarf there is a fifth character
3: well Alexis Hale is credited I'm not sure if it's every episode but he's credited with additional material isn't he which strikes me as um, he comes on and, and um, does his set <laughs> in an episode yeah. and then fucks off yeah. and that's his additional material
2: Though, yeah there are some episodes where it's literally that Yeah, <laughs> like his character comes on does a few lines and then they pause have a minute long Alexis Sale stand up set yeah. and then the action continues that's the variety <laughs> part I guess again <laughs> We haven't uh, said who our Red Dwarf cast would play in The Young Ones, except that um, Danny would be Mike. And Robert would be Neil. Robert would be Neil. So who out of Chris and Craig would be Rick and Vivian? Chris Chris would be Rick, I think, and Craig would be Vivian. Have, yeah. yeah, I can see Craig doing Vivian in a way that I can't see <laughs> Chris doing it.
0: But I can totally imagine, like, in Young Ones when they have a thing when all the, the roles cross over, I can imagine Chris doing a very good impression of the, whoever he ended up with.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the thing with Chris is that I can I can almost see Chris as a Rick type. Yeah. Like, establishment, but probably had some punk ideas in the 80s and then realised that it weren't really for him. And so, um, <laughs> you know... Oh, 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 yeah, a, a very close <laughs> close match between actor and character.
2: Of course, Craig couldn't play Rick because he's too good of a poet. <laughs> it would be like Les Dawson
3: playing the piano. <laughs> well, that's, that works brilliantly, though. Yeah, that's true.
0: The thing is, it would be like, but people would blur the line thinking, like, Craig Charles, I thought he was meant to be a really good poet. And this stuff like, <laughs> this <stuff's shit." laughs> this is rubbish.
3: <laughs> well, are you, Cliff? Hmm. <laughs> Would Craig more be the Alexi Sale then? Because they're scouts. Because they're scouts that he can come on and do a poetry set. (laughs) And then Vivian's played by Norman Lovett. (laughs) No, that's not gonna work. (laughs) Norman could come on happily. Yeah, this is uh, it's, it's a tough one. There's gonna, there's gonna be um sacrifices to be made and bad decisions to be forced <laughs> because you <laughs> very restrictive circumstances here. Yeah, but I very think, different actors altogether would be yeah, I Maybe think Maybe they should just stick with their own jobs. I think my favourite is probably Chris's Rick. I think I think that would definitely work. mainly because I think Chris could probably have done a the job on any of the eight good 80s sitcoms in almost any of the mm. parts, apart from the ones yeah. that were written for specific people. Right. Nikki Hutchinson
2: asks which show were you lot introduced to first The Young Ones or Bottom and did that have any
3: effect on how you view either series yeah Bottom and I like Bottom a lot more
2: interesting mm-hmm. I saw Bottom first and I much prefer The Young Ones
3: yeah that is interesting I'm not anti-Bottom no and I'm so. not anti-Young Ones but I, I love Bottom <laughs> so to <Yeah>. speak
0: <laughs> I saw yeah I saw Young Ones before so a Dwarf well, no, that's not true. I saw Young Ones before I saw the first two series, Dwarf, Because I didn't know about Norman Lovett being in it. Mm. So, yeah. So, Young Ones definitely first. And then... I, it's weird, because I can't imagine having, like, being around when Bottom was new. But obviously we were. Mm, I remember, um, I remember <clears throat> Bottom being new. Young Ones had already existed before I was born. Obvs. But Bottom was after. all around, yes. Yeah, so it was about 1991 something like that. I oh, yeah.
3: Bottom's yeah. almost like... I don't know if this is deliberate but it almost feels like an attempt to catch the next generation. Well not so much the next generation but just like the next wave of you know it was ten years later mm. yeah, to get to, to catch us and um, I guess you would have been probably way too young at the time Ian. Like, I remember
2: watching some Bottom as it went out but right. probably not the first series or two. But yeah despite that because I liked Bottom and like particularly Bottom Live I really liked yeah. more so as a teenager probably because of all the uncensored swearing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because of that that I when The Young Ones was repeated late 90s on BBC2 I was oh yeah Young Ones brilliant I'll watch that because it's got all those, it's got Rick and Aid in it. Yeah. And then I was just blown away by The Young Ones and, and yeah. um, as much as I love Bottom there's just more to The Young Ones I think. There's more elements to it in terms of the music and the cutaways and the sketches and everything but there seems to be more point to it there's more vim to it it's making more satirical points than bottom is
0: yeah i can understand that it's 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 trying to do something like bottom was very much sort of like a it's a waiting... more focused
3: fast. yeah it was just basically bottom. like
0: yeah. a, it was like a two it was a two-hander waiting for godot with punching system. Yeah. it was like, how can we can we make a show about how could nothing? think be better than that. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, I know. think yeah, the, the
2: best the best episodes of Bottom for me are the ones where it's pretty much a two hander. Yeah, yeah. Um, and usually the ones where they're just in the
3: same in the flat. Yeah, which is that. which feels like almost all of them.
0: Yeah, which is strange because it's the, it, it, the the two episodes that stand out for me are the two where they're not they're they're forced to be together outside. So, so South Sout Sout. and. um The one in the carnival. The one in the carnival, yeah. yeah, Hole in the Ferris wheel. Hole, Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Because they they're still exactly the same idea, where they're literally locked in situation, but they're locked in situation in a different situation. So it's like Mm. they're literally just doing the same thing, but like the entire of that episode is done on that one set, (laughs) the entire thing. Yeah, and it's crazy
2: in real time as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's quite, it's quite good. I, I do enjoy bottom for that kind of stuff as well but the best one for me is the one with the uh the contest which is i think the pilot which is not in the first episode of bottom but it's the one with the uh miss world and you can tell it's the pilot because you can tell it's this this the slight differences about it the layout of the mm. rooms different and all the rest of it but there's just something about the attitude and the way that 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 the way that episode plays out is so much more slower than yeah you know it's, it's it's a fucking seriously close tie between Bottom and Young Ones. Bottom <laughs> just tweaks it because there's more of it. There's more of Bottom to watch. Mm. But, I, but I really understand why Young Ones is everyone's favourite. That's why Bottom understand.
3: falls down in the end is because the Bottom lasted long enough to get shit.
0: Hey! Are you talking about the live shows?
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the later live caught, shows. The last couple okay, of the live yeah, shows. Yeah, that's fine. Which
0: well, yeah, ended we'll end exactly the same way in two years running. But hey,
2: if we end up doing more of these... Red Dwarf adjacent things, then bottom might well be one of them. Definitely, so, yes. So let's not spend, let's not spunk our bottoms just yet.
0: <laughs> Is that even biologically possible? <laughs> let's find out. Was st-
2: <laughs> I saw a news story the other day about a man who ejaculated out of his bottom for years and didn't get it checked out, and it turned out that there was something, some problem with his kidneys or something that was sort of redirecting. All his oh. tubes and so he he pissed out of his mouth. <laughs> did he did he shit out of his mouth?
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, Daddy, you're gonna have to do some lots of coughing editing out. That's all right. it's all you're right, he's just shit out of his mouth. I'm just yeah, shit out of my mouth.
0: Sorry, lads. Just cough out of my eye. <laughs> my ass, what else? <laughs> yeah, that man's wired wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Wired for sound—that's
0: another Cliff Richard song that's not terrible. <laughs> right, me sideways is another one.
2: <laughs> Moonlight says, "I would like to hear some commentary on just how often they destroy the set in this show." I She's love often. how often they do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much most episodes. There's some destruction, and the, like the fa- the first episode is uh, called "Demolition" and it involves literally destroying the the plot is that vivian is destroying the set
3: <laughs> <laughs> the first so I fun.
0: find <laughs> that fairly genius because it's like if we ever make a pilot we're going to be redoing the set anyway so we might as well just destroy this one like and yeah. start again. Well it it's, makes me yeah.
3: wonder how how built into the set the destruction was or how kind of almost off the cuff and just like fuck it they were about it. I
0: think they have to have at some point had some thought about like <laughs> Ray Edmondson's not gonna go into this stud wall. <laughs> yeah. I think that they're gonna have to have some sort of like there's probably some of it where some of it's mocked up, but then it's like if anything else breaks, meh, it's not really yeah, gonna yeah. matter. It's not gonna matter.
2: There may have been some improvised, just picking something up and smashing
3: it type shenanigans. Yeah, but like in this episode with the with the hoover, like it, it feels like maybe there was yeah. a bit bit of flaw that was constructed just for that episode. Like that wasn't just let's just yeah. pull the shit out of this corner of the set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: and then yeah, the stair rails get knocked down and yeah, uh, holes through the wall and all sorts.
0: Imagine what it'd be like watching that live though, like watching all that shit Amazing. set up. It's just yeah. the crazy.
2: Yeah. So much of it was in front of the audience as well. There's a se- I can't remember which episode it is, but it's series 1. The scene where Rick and Viv are fighting on a bed and the bed crashes through the s- <laughs> the ceiling into the kitchen and they, oh, yeah. and that happens in front of the audience and then with both of the real actors on the bed as it crashes down because they then stand up and continue
0: their argument
1: <laughs> <Is>
2: <laughs> an an in this?
0: Yeah. I am not a virgin we're going back to the bottom again but there's a bit when the piano falls from the ceiling and Aidy and, and sat down at the piano and it crashes through the ceiling. I was like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> like in front of an audience as well. Like it's a genuinely terrifying stunt. Cause it's like the piano's <laughs> over his legs. So just like anything could have happened. Yeah. But then again, there would probably, there was a bit of a, probably a bit of a lax sort of attitude to stunts. It was like, well, you know, we're used to doing this. We kind of do this a lot. Therefore injuries are kind of expected of some degree. I
2: think, yeah, I think production managers would be less keen to allow the actual stars to do Distance the these days. Unless they signed a yeah. waiver or something. Like, well, no, just for insurance reasons. Oh, right, okay. and, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah it would probably be impossible. Yeah. Unless you're Craig Charles. Although I yeah, don't think he's he done a also. stunt in a while. On the stunts. We should mention as well, actually, we'll probably never do a commentary on this, but the last episode of Filthy Witch and Cat Flap um, is a complete destruction of the entire set. Oh Christ. god,
0: yeah, they do just, do, yeah, absolutely fourth wall breaking thing, don't Literally, they? Just take it, they break. just take Literally it wall, the second
3: wall.
1: Place. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, I forgot
0: about that. Yeah, they just complete. They just, they are just, they're just taking it to pieces like that. They were just filming it and just think, well, yeah. we're not doing this again. Just do it once. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Extra, extra. I'm an extra. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Because I know Bottom so well, and I know Young One so well, and it's really weird seeing kind of a hybrid of the like
3: two It is, yeah. It's the, it child. really
2: is the missing link. It's yeah. not repeated. It's never been repeated. It's never been held up as much as the other two. No. I'm not even sure I've seen all of it. You know,
0: I don't think I have. I've got them on DVD, but I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched it all them properly. I may have watched the one on episode TV. that was on uh, uh, DJ once
2: because Chris Barry's in it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's Paul Jackson. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, Chris Barry plays Paul Jackson in feels the rich and cut Oh, fuck
0: yeah. <laughs> Pencil snapping. Uh,
3: do you know what? Yeah, we'll probably have to do that then, won't we? We might <laughs> do that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. have to. I mean, Chris Barry playing Paul Jackson is kind of a must. It's
0: the most Red Dwarf thing we can find, I think. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and Robert Llewellyn in having his leg taken off. That's a—that's another one we've got to do.
2: <laughs> While Lee Collins watches on.
0: Huh. Wanky.
2: it is dribbly yogurt (laughs) next uh, Dave asks can you draw a direct line from the music numbers in Young Ones to Tongue Tied (laughs) it depends how your um, DVD shelf is laid out (laughs) If if they're on the same shelf then yeah but Get a thread
3: thread and just connect the two together like on a a map, yeah. Um.
2: Um, But yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm. Uh, A sitcom having musical numbers within it. But, like I'm stating the obvious here, but it's a different type of thing. With Tongue Tied, it's our characters, or our Mm. actors rather, doing the number rather than a guest. I mean, you can draw a direct line between the music numbers in Young Ones and uh, Smeg and the Heads. Where you get Napalm Death in to play the band. Okay, yeah, you, yeah.
3: you could draw a direct line if they'd done it in that way, yeah. Yeah. But um, it does kind of raise the incongruity of Tongue tied a little bit, because it is something that they tried in the show and didn't really do again. You could argue that the, the Blue Midget dance, but... Um,
0: again, they kind of happen both in kind of dreamlike states as well, don't they? So. And if you're
3: thinking about, like, the traditions of this, the young ones who are doing it in the variety tradition, I guess, or, like... Maybe not so much, but... Their take on the... Yeah, their check. take, like, you know, mixing things up, mixing comedy up with a musical number that is as old as as stage entertainment itself. Yeah. And and so I guess it is all coming from that same lineage. You can imagine Paul Jackson saying, why don't you do a musical number? That'd be good. Well, I was just thinking the Paul Jackson
2: connection because I think of your and Wises and your two Ronnies, yeah. where they were big sketch shows with bits of stand-up like two Ronnies in particular the Ronnie C armchair bits were basically bits of stand-up the news headlines at the beginning and end were little things and then there were sketches and a big musical number but they had both they had a big musical number at the end with the with the Ronnies in as expertly demolished by not the nine o'clock news and they also had an act like a contemporary act doing their yeah, a musical act coming on and doing their hit in the show, and so uh, you can see Paul Jackson having produced and directed the two Ronnies taking that approach onto the young ones.
3: Mm, yeah, and that's straight from Mark and Wise as well. <clears throat> yeah, that's almost the exact same thing transposed onto a different double act. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the way it was done. Yeah. So y- yes,
1: <laughs>
3: in that it is a musical number in a comedy show to break things up a bit. And, yeah. and it involves Paul Jackson, so it's added by. So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> can anyone remember what they say is was the origins for the tongue tied idea? Like, was it something that Danny said, "I want to do a number," or was it, or was it, what was it? I
2: think it was Rob and Doug.
3: So it was them
2: doing it because they knew that the cast would be good at it. I think, Right, I see. or that Danny would. Considering how much tongue tied is talked about. <laughs> amongst the the casting crew. I don't know if there is a proper definitive answer to that. Yeah. I'm sure someone will tell us in the comments if there's something obvious we've missed. But Tongue Tide itself originated in Son of Cliche, of course.
3: Oh of course, yeah. Ah interesting. And that is more in that tradition, isn't it? Um
2: Well, there was often most episodes there was a song in Son of Cliche. Yeah. A comedy song. And that, you know, having comedy songs in sketch shows is something that well if Sketchos were still a thing would I'm sure would continue to this day yeah. but you know right through to the 90s and 90s having a comedy song Not The Nine O'Clock News did it up until Smack The Pony did it um, I think we've answered that question <laughs> on a tangent mentioning the two Ronnies uh, and Not The Nine O'Clock News has, has made me think of it as a story that um paul jackson told dimension jump that the head of comedy while they were making the young ones at the bbc was john howard davis who amongst many other things did Faulty towers and also did uh, the good life he produced the good life and obviously you know they got on fairly well as you do both comedy producers and then paul said like he saw john in the canteen like the day after or the week after the young ones parody of the good life had had been on air where, where like, they just eviscerate the show and everything it stands for like they have the title sequence play out and then vivian literally rips it down <laughs> we are not
0: watching the bloody good life it's so bloody bloody nice
2: and <laughs> paul was worried about how john Howard davis would react and apparently he just said i wish you hadn't done that paul and it was just like, oh. I'm
1: not annoyed. I'm just I'm disappointed. Not angry, I'm
0: just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, but it wasn't even sort of taking the piss out of it in any sort of way, other than just saying it's very nice. Is not exactly a. I wouldn't say that's a criticism. That's just saying that we don't want that. That's anymore. not us. Yeah, I think not... yeah.
2: I think I think what it was was the good life personified, and was the perfect example of an old school, traditional, safe establishment uh, Okay. I see. And so them tearing it down wasn't necessarily an attack on the good life itself, but just what it, the good life stood for. In, the, know, in the, the same think. way
0: you said about the not-that-like I news and the two- That's what made people, me like think a, about it, yeah. Right, it like, okay.
2: I love the two Ronnies. I adore the two Ronnies. I think they're the, like they shit over Morecambe and Wise as far as I'm concerned. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Until Vic and Bob, I don't think there's a better double act than the two Ronnies. I will fucking fight you. Okay, okay, carry on. Is this where the schism but is this where the schism
1: starts? <laughs>
2: <laughs> covered in schism. Right? Melanie schism <laughs> <laughs> And yet I also adore the not the nine o'clock news and specifically the sketch that
3: eviscerates the two Ronnies and that really hurt Ronnie Barker apparently. It yeah, was, he did, like, he was really disappointed Which it, which he it shouldn't have done really because it should be obvious from that sketch just how much everyone involved in it knew the two Ronnies inside out so they were obviously fans of the two Ronnies like you... yeah an expert yeah. oh yeah yeah you don't do that when you haven't got some love for the thing that you're kicking the shit out of
0: they do often say that Mimicry is the best form of adoration however there was some <laughs> sort of like sne- sort of sneering sort of not sneering but just like, a, like it's obvious what you're trying to say with this is that you know these guys are old hat and it's like mm. we're the new kids or you know, the, yeah. you know, the old guard we're the new boys I think that was the thing
2: for Ronnie because you got to remember that the two Ronnies both came out of the Frost Report, and that they they were contemporaries of Python and and Spike Milligan, and they were the young upstarts at one point, and they were the Mm. they were the new wave, and it was that that made Ronnie realize that he was now an old fart. Yeah, like he was he was part of the old school, and that the new kids that had come up were now taking the piss out of him. It was like yeah.
3: That's the point actually we did say that the young ones was like the first the first wave of this alternate comedy when actually it was not because that was seventy nine not the nine o'clock news yeah, yeah. the first series wasn't was was, was seventy nine and then i think it was every year after that but <coughs> it was the first mm. series
0: of not nine o'clock news nineteen seventy nine Fate so wow
3: yeah it was
2: seventy nine yeah eighty two
0: good Lord,
2: but it was a um not really that recognisable. The first series of Not the Nine O'Clock News was it? Mm. I mean, I've hardly seen any of it because it's hardly ever fucking repeated. in the you that, can tell if it's form. series
3: one because um, on your on your highlight DVDs that everyone yeah. has because it's got Chris. It'll have Chris Langham in the sketches. Yeah. That's series one.
2: It, but yeah. and they've got Rowan, but they don't have Smith and
3: Jones. I think. Ah, uh, very possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Atkinson yeah, was there from the start, but I mean, like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, such huge waves of those of those. People are, are now way past it when it comes to relevance. I would say at this point. And, well, and, Mel busted, and, yeah. and a little bit. <laughs> you no, know, Mel, Mel, Mel got out while <laughs> he turned into Rowan Atkinson. Griffin. He turned into Griffrey's Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, you either die a hero
2: or live long enough to become Griffrey's Jones.
3: Yeah. Like, it's 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 just the way of things. It's the it's the, it's the circle of life. you eventually you get so stuck in your ways, and you want it to be how it was when you were the upstart. Or yeah. how the the world that you created when you were an upstart, um, without realizing that you know the world you created also has its flaws that needs to be torn down by the next wave, so you need to then shut the fuck up.
2: Yeah, and before you know it, you could be simultaneously the person that absolutely revolutionised comedy, probably more than anyone else, and end up doing a documentary about cancel culture and wokeness. Yeah. In uh, fifty odd years later. Yeah. Yeah. Prick. Anyway, I oh, think okay. yeah,
3: We always do. This is, is perennial.
2: But, but yeah. Anyway, the point is, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible yeah. to love the thing that's being ripped
3: apart and the thing that is ripping it apart. It is. And I like. For example, the... we just ripped apart not uh, the entire cast of Not, and we love it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I
2: adore John Cleese and I think he's a belland yeah. at the same time. But no, um like the good life isn't a particular favourite of mine, but I don't mind it. But even if it was a firm favourite, I could happily handle the dichotomy yeah. of the young ones being another favourite that eviscerates it. Yeah. Anyway. For sure. Moving on then, uh, from that extended waffle. There's a couple of points that people raise that are more sort of interesting things rather than questions Uh, so Clem says that there was a young ones red dwarf crossover fanfic story in better than life the old fan club magazine I believe it's called something like Quagmurable gentleman whatever that means (laughs) I don't remember anything else about it but that's stayed in my head all these years for some reason (laughs) I can't remember that either and I don't think I have it in my BTL collection.
3: Oh, after this magazine read through, we'll we'll read through. Every... Yeah. No, we won't do that. By the way, yeah, we will not do that at all. That'd be a terrible <laughs> idea because it's full of shit from me.
1: A, <laughs> <as> an <11-year-old.
2: laughs> and Kevin Jay points out that there was a book released in 1996 called Therapy and How to Avoid It, which was written by Nigel Planer and Robert Llewellyn. I have that. It's all right. It's <laughs> it's not massively groundbreaking. It's a spin
3: off book from the 80s, right? Oh, 90s. Yeah. Well, those two are firm friends. I mean Robert Llewellyn in his youth basically was the same character. He <laughs> was Neil. He was yeah. Neil yeah. Paul Allen Roach asks well it's potentially quite
2: a big question so we're going to tackle it in a specific way. What makes The Young Ones work as well as it did? Would it still work if it was set three million years into deep space? <laughs> no. But I think a big part of The Young Ones' appeal is that Obviously, it's now the past, but at the time that it was set, it was playing into the various subgroups of youth culture where you had punks and you had hippies and you had anarchists. And I think a lot of what works about it is that it is set in an exaggerated and stupid and violent version of the real world that was recognisable to audiences at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's also, there's something quintessentially British about it in that a lot of what they're they're referencing radio and TV and, and elements of British culture. It works in a way of like you've got Alexis Sale is often the annoying neighbour or the annoying exactly. It was the, a sitcom
3: whatever. set in a house, yeah, along with ninety percent of other sitcoms, maybe. But that's yeah. what allowed it to then.
2: Yeah, it's like we were saying about the production. You can't have a zany setting and do zany things with it. Yeah, it has to be grounded in the real world in order for it to work.
3: Yeah, The Young Ones was, was, I guess, reinventing or reinterpreting what a sitcom, what comedy even, could be, using the given tools of both sitcom and histories of variety and all that stuff. Red Dwarf mm. was taking what sci-fi is and I guess it, in general, it was more—it was more reacting to sci-fi, I guess, wasn't it? Rather than comedy, it was—it was a comedy that was a sci-fi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, maybe wasn't even actually looking to reinvent anything, or particularly shake up anything. It was just—it it, it was coming from a more unique start.
2: It was transposing a traditional sitcom into an alien setting—not
3: Yeah. Not literally alien, but a setting that the yeah audiences in general. Apart from what was the what was the thing? Come back, Mrs. Noah. Um, or, yeah. Come back, Mr. Sucks. Whatever it was called. The point of it
2: was that it was a fairly traditional comedy. It's a workplace comedy. Yeah. That just happens to be in space.
3: I would say it was it was more like porridge in space. I think that's my hot take yeah. on that. It really annoys Doug when people describe it as step in space. So let's say it was step in space. It's, I mean, it's not really step in space, I guess, but yeah. And I guess as well, if you think about the wider the wider context of alternative comedy, like Red Dwarf is a co- is a is definitely a product of alternative comedy, um, but The Young Ones was kind of defining it. It was it was yeah, it, it was, the, was the original, and Red Dwarf is what a, a mature movement can then start experimenting with and doing. Yeah, again in danger of sounding like a wonky talking head. Post
2: alternative <laughs> comedy, in that all the things that alternative comedy had sought to tear down had done it. They'd already changed the landscape, and Red Dwarf was one of the
3: next set of of comedies to be made in the new landscape yep. that they'd created. Alternative comedy, oh, the, the comedy in the eighties. It is impossible to talk about it without sounding like a wank. It's like yeah. it's just something you have to accept. Cause it's like because <laughs> everyone's had every single opinion about this era, and it, it's all been on clip shows many many times over rehashed (laughs) and restated like some good points made by wankers some bad points made by good people and so at this point it's very difficult to to have like uh, an informed opinion because so much of this was like people can say the young ones is dated and or you know the the young ones was a product of its time blah 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 and they'll use that as a criticism Mm -hmm. and while it's bollocks to use that as a criticism there's a kernel of truth of it being of a large part of its significance being because it was such a moment in time and it was such a specific reaction and a specific thing for a specific time. It it doesn't mean you can't, you can discount it now just because of that. But like, you know, even bad points have got good points mixed in.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I adore the show and it was entirely made before I was born. So it's definitely not a case that because it's rooted in this early eighties politics and society, it's definitely not dated because no, the, the humor, I the mean, humor in it isn't. It's just the setting. Like you wouldn't say Dad's Army was dated just because
3: every it's fucking. In the past. Well, yeah, just because it, yeah, it's a bit dated. We're not in a World War anymore unless anymore. I unless I have missed something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like calling anything dated as as like a criticism of like I'm not gonna watch it. It's a bit dated. Is bollocks because everything is dated. Everything is a product of its time. It's just some yeah. things are more so. But it doesn't make it doesn't make them any less worthwhile. Certain, some things audience. are
2: bad products of their time, and yes. some things are good products yeah. of their time,
3: yeah. and some and most things are a cunning mixture of the two.
2: So, Cy Bromley asked us a further music-based question, but none of us are really familiar enough to answer properly. So what are your thoughts on the Young One's musical output? The comic relief single we've already kind of talked about—that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love everything about that. The video is amazing, and yeah, the. Fides my soul. Yes, it's raunchy That kind of thing. <laughs> but also specifically Sai mentions Neil's heavy concept album, um which is yeah, Nell playing a released an album as Neil. I can't say that I've listened to much of it. No, I haven't. <laughs> but yeah, we'll probably, you know, if it's online somewhere we'll stick it in the show notes for people if they want to explore. But just a little anecdote from Sai. There's one point towards the end of Hole in My Shoe, uh, which is like the kind of lead single from that. When it's quite busy, there's a voice in there that sounds a bit like my nan. My five year old self was convinced that the seven inch had soaked up and recorded part of my nan's voice shouting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See the thing is that that it's weird because like obviously the seven inch is a record, it ain't gonna it ain't gonna dub on top, but there were like there were at times like the dubbing button on tapes where you mm. could press the and then it would oh, basically yeah. record on top of whatever you were recording. And with the amount of time we used to have on a video, we used to have like Sections of that with our talking because we'd press the dub button by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and you could hear us talking over the show while it was playing, and it would be forever on the tape, and it would never go away. That's cool. Early version of commentaries. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Genuinely, didn't even know. You know, Danny like, was podcasting uh, before <laughs> <laughs> to
2: before
0: an audience Ponds, of non <laughs>
2: <laughs> It was a pre-podcast. Next waffle, Kevin J. Uh says, Red Dwarf got his overseas reboot. I wonder why the Americans never made The Young Ones USA. Wow. Well, Kevin J, you're wrong, actually. Kevin yeah. J, that is your Kevin, fucking... Kevin so-called J. <laughs> there, <was, laughs> there was an American pilot made called, Oh No, Not Them. Fuck <laughs> me. Which is a terrible, terrible name. Much like Red Dwarf, it was unaired and never picked up. Presumably fucking terrible. It was made for Fox. And also, like Red Dwarf, it had one of the original cast going over to America uh, to play the same role. In this case, Nigel Planer was Neil. And there's not a great deal of information about it online. To protect the innocent. To protect the guilty. And so on Wikipedia, it quotes a certain book called The Man in the Rubber Mask by Robert Llewellyn, because he talks about it in that book of when he went over to America to do that. He he knew obviously his friend Nigel had done the same thing. So I'll just quote what's quoted. The Young Ones was taken over the Atlantic in the mid-80s. Just as a side note, that's wrong. It was 1990. No, Robert does not make mistakes in his book. (laughs) And Nigel was the only member of the British cast to go. He had experienced a fairly hideous time, worried sick that he was going to have to stay there for six years with a group of people he hated who managed (laughs) to make The Young Ones into a sort of grubby Benny Hill show, He was hugely relieved when the pilot was a flop and he was released from his contract. And so, yeah, there are massive similarities between...
3: um, between the Red Dwarf and Young Ones American experiences it sounds like the Young Ones was was, was more of a disaster because you, you at least you can make the exact same show with Red Dwarf you, you just yeah. literally make the exact same show but with the Young Ones, what the fuck are you supposed to do you're not, like we've just discussed how rooted in a <laughs> time and place <laughs> that show is and you, you, you just can't transplant that over to America with an entirely different fucking culture in the early 80s like completely different like we, do, we didn't share we didn't share cultures back then no you know like in the way we do now
2: weirdly the producer and director of this failed young ones pilot was david Merkin, who later went on to become the showrunner of the simpsons for 2 years oh so like red dwarf usa being produced by linwood boomer who later went on to have a brilliant career and did a groundbreaking show david murkin was showrunner of the simpsons when it was good he was uh, showrunner show for ask, six, yeah. season 5 and 6. So, yeah, he wrote Deep Space Homer. Yeah, yeah, But I believe that my colleague Danny has uncovered another thing about the American
0: Young Ones pilot <laughs> so the the initial titles for Oh no not them were made by a guy called David Daniels who was if you if you haven't heard of David Daniels you'll have absolutely seen something that he's done. He sort of he didn't discover it but he sort of popularized this this style of animation called stratocut which is this kind of plasticine Esque animation style. MTV used it, Sesame Street used it, it was on the mm, yeah. uh, ABC video for Jackson 5. Oh, right, yeah. This kind of thing, and like the techniques of how you do it, you kind of make an entire loaf, what they call a loaf of of, of animation, and you slice it piece by piece, and it reveals an image or an animation. And when you see the, because he made the titles for Unalot them, and it's that kind of sort of weird, sort of trippy. 70s 80s kind of feel it's like it's it, you look at it and just think it looks like american mtv that's just the the feel you get from it when you see it but yeah i mean the the, the titles for that show well are terrible in my opinion i <laughs> think they're pretty
3: good like they're really but like reddorf usa
0: yeah i mean they're not you know but Red you usa basically just took stock footage of with terrible hour one and, and just did like, like at least they actually bothered to it, make yeah. their own this time yeah, oh, and the music is so much better because it's "Tomorrow Never Knows" by the Beatles. So oh. I don't know how long that the <laughs> fucking lasted. So well, that would have made know? it really
2: difficult to repeat on British TV. Yeah, that time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because it's "Tomorrow Never Knows" doesn't feel like an eighties song. It feels like a seventies song. It feels very sort it of hip, very sort of. it's, but it's more, yeah, well, exactly. It's more like sort of it's more kind of Woodstock hippie sort of feel, yeah. and rather than sort of eighties. Maybe imagine. it's
2: just because it's British. Is what they went for? Maybe,
0: yeah. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you've seen the actual intro, but
2: I'm going to watch it right now.
0: Okay. Ooh. But it's really ima- trippy. <laughs> yeah, it's really trippy, and it's. It, uh, I think the intro to the film Freaks, the um, Alex Winter film, was yeah. Um, yeah. was done the same way. But you, if That's you try and think bizarre. about how that was animated with like you know slices through a, a cake that produces an image is. Burns my brain trying to work out how the hell this guy does what he does, but he has done some insane stuff. I can't even I can't even really describe it. It's just like a sort of a, just an outpouring of mental filth. <laughs> That's an early dwarf cast, surely. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just it, it's just it's kind of like just like a, a train of thought that just goes wherever the hell it wants, and it's just. But the, mm. I think it suits. I, I you know as, as a title sequence, I don't think it's terrible. I think it's quite unique. I can't
2: see. How it would fit with our version of the Young Ones, No. which makes me suspect that their version of the Young Ones was much, much different.
3: Yeah, yeah. It'd be really interesting if that ever saw the light of day, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. What I think interesting,
0: interesting as well is they changed the name of the character Vivian to Adrian. Well, yeah, kind the of something so quite weird, as a that. girl's name
3: for a yeah. Oh, Jesus. But it's
0: like one that one that Americans would understand. But to change it to Adrian as well, it's like that's literally taking the piss out of the acting. <laughs>
3: Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> 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 but the the decision was made because, like, oh uh, yeah, a, a boy called Vivian. A boy it's Sue. an interesting
0: still... little it's an interesting little um, a little mm-hmm. town cut. So yeah. shame we can't see what it looked like. But then again, you know, we've seen we've seen what American remakes of some shows work as, and we know that you yeah. know,
3: yeah, they work sometimes. Yeah. Love it or hate it, the
0: um, the it crowd's American pilot is shit because it is exactly the same, and that's not how. Remakes work.
3: Yeah, well, the the U- U.S. office was basically exactly the same show in the first series as well. The first few um, episodes
2: of it were clones of British
0: episodes, and yeah. then they went and did their own thing. And, and they did their own thing, which is what you're supposed to do. Much better. better. Much better. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it could have worked, but we never know what the problems were. But we never, will never see it, so we'll never
2: know. You know, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I would love to see. It. I think it'd be just d- a especially time love control. to see Nigel Planer looking really pissed off and yeah, angry yeah, yeah. throughout, <laughs> making something that he knows is shit. Anyway, let's wrap up. We have a final question from Genual. Genual? Genual. Genial. Choose one of those. Genial. Given that God is infinite and the universe is also infinite, why do I still not get the fuss about the young ones? Pure tot.
3: Up to the point where why do I not get the fuss about the young ones? Like, but, like, c- calling it pure tot I think is possibly getting ob- towards being objectively wrong. <laughs> because it's it's quite clearly a... An amazing piece of work, but I think not vibing with the young ones, not getting it, I think is completely fine. It's understandable. Yeah, it's going to be more common as well because I don't know. There's there's a definite again. Like I'm really trying not to say that it's (laughs) it's of its time, (laughs) but it is in a bad way. But it fucking is. Like you know, yeah. If if like Genual is like I don't know in their twenties perhaps. like yeah, what cultural context does a twenty year old really have for mm. appreciating the young ones? Not much unless they've immersed themselves in in a particular, you know, era or a particular type of comedy.
0: Yeah, if they kind of studied kind of soci- like if they literally studied sociology or anything about the nineteen eighties and how culture was at that time, you'd understand the young ones a lot better because yeah. you would understand the just quite a lot of it
2: Yeah. Yeah, its place in the lineage and the mm. history of comedy. But
0: you know the world is a, a vastly, vastly different place now than it was in 1982.
3: So, having said that, I mean we we don't particularly struggle with like understanding the context of Python or understanding the context of Frost or, you know, but Python isn't set in
0: the in the same way that Python is set in a 1970s setting. It's set in yeah, okay, yeah, a, you know, stream of consciousness. That's the yeah. word I was looking for earlier, by the way. It's a stream of consciousness rather than mental filth. just edit that in (laughs) but yeah it's very much like like python is very much just like a load of ideas kind of thrown in but like young ones is set around a premise and that Mm. premise is set inside the 80s regardless of whether it was ever meant to be set in present day or not it's set in Mm. the time it was made
3: and if we're thinking about it's kind of the the elements of the young ones which are punk one of the Points of, of punk is to elicit reactions and not necessarily w- worry about whether those reactions are good or not. Yeah, um, so I think that means that it's more likely to for someone with a particular sensibilities or just a particular taste in comedy to look at that and just think, Fuck this, fuck everything about this, I don't like yeah. this at all. Like, and that's probably one of the things it was, you know, it was kind of set up to do. It's like it's just part of its DNA. But it's brilliant, genuine. Like, give it.
0: <laughs> I think it's it's hard. It's like, do, but if you don't get the fuss about the young ones, do you also not get the fuss about bottom as well? Do you not get the? This is not like an accusation. This is just like. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> is it just yeah. young ones, or is it across all of that kind of era of comedy, or is it, is it just young ones in particular that that they have got a problem with, or do not understand? It's just it's it's interesting to see you know how how far that stretches.
2: I have a theory, that whether you're whether you get into the young ones or not kind of depends on not necessarily your age in relation to the to the show to the 80s but your age when you first watched it because i think i I watched it mid-teens and that was exactly the right time in my life to see a show that like even though it was nearly 20 years old at that point it was, it still felt really anarchic and, and groundbreaking compared to most of the comedy that was on TV at the time because it mm. did break down boundaries and change the um, landscape of comedy. But you were still getting plenty of traditional, bog standard, good life style sitcoms. Yeah, like, yeah. as much as I, oh no, that's a bad example. Like, My Family was on around the same time that I saw The Young Ones, so it didn't kill the, um, the previous. Uh, style of comedy completely so I was just at the right age in the same way that people that were 10 years older than me were when it originally went out to get it and to really appreciate what it was doing and to really tune into the mood of the show because I think that's a a big part of it as well it's if you go in completely cold (laughs) then it can be baffling at times but if your brain's in the right space to tune into the young ones then it's very rewarding but overall, despite all that, it's just the main thing about the show is it's just really funny. Yeah. Like when we were watching it just now, even though we weren't really listening to it properly and we were talking through it, there was still visual gags throughout that made us laugh. There was still things that made us go, wow, that was amazing. How do they do that? There's still little lines here and there that are just funny regardless of context and regardless of age and regardless of when it was made and everything else. Yeah, And it's got Rick Mayle in it. And that counts for a lot. For Rick Mail me. in full force as well, obviously. <laughs>
3: yeah, <but laughs> I mean, actually, when was Rick Mail not in full force? I'm just thinking. <laughs> don't think it was ever the case, but um, uh, for
2: about two months after his head had been run over by a quad bike. Oh right, yeah, he had a
3: little rest, in the yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: Um
3: But yeah, I think I think genuine, like seriously. If you're 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 part of our community, you're, you're an active part of the community. You have similar tastes to. To, to, to everyone I think I think there's definitely there's definitely something in there that you will enjoy if if you are if you are in the kind of I don't know not the right mindset I'm trying not to be patronizing here but like approach it from a particular direction I don't know I just uh, yeah I mean you're certainly not the only only person in the world to think to to, to to go along the Thought our line of thought of God am I the only person that doesn't like the young ones I don't get what the fuss is about because there's millions of people like that, there's lots of people that really hate the young ones and always have um, and think they're the only one and you and
2: know what they've all got in common <laughs> fascists fascist. a lot of them yeah. <laughs> yeah on that note I think we can wrap up there for we may not be the young ones very long let us know if you are remotely interested in listening to any of that and if you'd like us to tackle further things because we enjoyed thinking about another show and, and talking about another show a bit so if uh, if you'd like us to do more of these type of commentaries do let us know and suggestions we are open to as well for things that are Red Dwarf related but not Red Dwarf um, you can leave us a comment on the article for this podcast over at tv, or you can tweet us
0: Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan, Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working with. Oh,
2: okay. As always, thank you so much for listening. Do join us again. Uh, stay safe, stay happy, stay warm. Stacey Dooley is an English television presenter, journalist, and media personality who came to public prominence in 2008 when she appeared as a participant on Blood, Sweat and T-shirts. Since then, she's made social issue-themed television documentaries for BBC3 concerning child labour and women in developing countries. And as always... head bye, everybody. Ed bye.
1: Thank you for listening to g and DwarfCast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our DwarfCast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>
2: And so I think it's about time we moved on to discussing topics and questions that you people, you lovely people, have sent us uh, to
3: fucking... <laughs> fucking Twitter or some shit. Um, <clears throat> Next year, the young ones will be 40 years old. Fuck
0: off!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. In Capsi. in two years... You will be 40 years old. Fuck
1: off! (laughs) Yes,
2: indeed. In three years, Danny, you will be my accountant. (laughs)